It is a Monday night, a night that you guys don't expect to have a podcast uploaded to your feed, but we're doing it anyways because Oklahoma has a game to play on Wednesday in the Alamo Bowl. This is Through the Keyhole. I'm joined as always alongside Peyton Guthrie, our producer Matt Burton, Peyton as I said before we came on, I didn't know how to properly come into this, but how was uh, how was the Christmas weekend? Pause on that one sentence there. Uh, no, Christmas weekend's going great, man. I'm uh, spending a lot of money uh, taking care of things. Uh, I mean, as you get older, Christmas starts, you know, mainly just becomes about uh, how much money you can spend on somebody uh, <laughs> to a certain degree. So uh, feeling pretty good, making sure the nephews are taken care of, four-year-old and two-year-old, so... Uh, and then I've been a volunteer to set up a new security system for my sister's house. I, I hung um, like some some Black Friday stuff she got a couple of years ago, like crawling 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 around in her attic. But she's upgraded it, so now I'm I've been a voluntold to spend another full Saturday pretty soon crawling in the attic, rewiring new cameras and stuff. But Christmas is great, man. Christmas is great. How about you guys, Matt? Yeah, Matt. Uh, you get any Duke gear? You got all your Duke oh, gear? Yeah. No, I definitely got Duke gear. Definitely got Duke gear. I was happy, happy for that. Um, you said yeah. like a table, like with all the Duke hats and stuff and put them on. Yeah, right. I do. I actually do have like a little Duke table over here. I wouldn't show you guys, but uh, my camera doesn't go that far. Oh man, it looks great. God, <laughs> yeah, you right. could see that guys. There's man. also a Yankees hat on there too. Okay. Oh, easy. No, just the uh, defending uh, MLB champion Atlanta Braves hat um <laughs> anyways no it was good got like man. nine months more to enjoy that i'll let you i'll let you be free on that for i'm gonna bit. enjoy it as long as i can because it, it it's not gonna happen again i don't think but <laughs> but no it was good man and like peyton said it's like uh for me it's just stressful because my mom's side of the family there's just a ton of people so i, I always like am stressed like who did i forget this year like who did i forget because there is always someone always someone I'm going to forget, but now it was good, man. It was a lot busier. Cause I mean, I got a, uh, I got a serious girlfriend now. So I had to add, you know, a couple more Christmases to the list that we had to oh, go wow. to. So, wow. uh, we, we ended up having like a three day Christmas. So it was, it was nuts, but I'm, I'm happy. It's over. Happy. It's over. A lot of travel. Oh, well, as boys, I think I'm the only one single here. I didn't have to spend too much money. I just got a uh, dirty Santa gift. Hopefully uh, next year by this time that'll be a fruitful Christmas for me. But as oh, I you have said, a girlfriend, <laughs> I just have film, baby. Got him. Got him. Just got the all twenty-two. It's all I. It's all I care about. No, I'm kidding. Oh, we're talking about uh, football film. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> Too yeah. easy. Too easy. <laughs> Couple more days. Go over to the Anytime Fitness, five nineteen Northwest Twenty Third Street, in Oklahoma City. Um, go tell them that through the keyhole sent you, I sent you, Peyton Guthrie, Matt Burton, Brady. They'll get you hooked up over there at Anytime Fitness. If you're a regular listener, our Christmas present, our Christmas wish from you, our post-Christmas wish from you, go leave us a comment, five-star review. It'd be fantastic. Helps out the podcast. Um, and if you guys enjoy it, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. To our patrons, this is a public pod. 
on a Monday. It's a preview. Um, but I do want to say thank you to you guys as well. And that's through the keyhole.com slash through the keyhole.com patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Um, got a little defensive film review of Oregon as you head in the off season. You've already got five videos breaking down Brent Venables as well as Jeff Levy. And you'll get all the interviews and all the podcasts that we do in the off season that are Patreon pods. You'll get those there as well. We got some house clean to do before we uh, get get into the Alamo Bowl against Oregon because Oklahoma has oh it's not surprising but to already have two transfers Peyton after Brent Venables coming up from the Dabo Sweeney Tree uh, welcoming site for you uh, yeah I that yeah I, I was a little worried about how Brent was going to take on the transfer stuff I was going to see how he was going to handle that. Um, it does look like at this point in time, we'll, we'll see if a trend's going to keep going. He's not fully in, I mean, he's not fully entrenched as OU head coach yet. People don't know who he's going to be like, what his teams are going to be like. So that may be hard to attract high level transfers. And even then, those guys are going to Alabama, stuff like that. I mean, Nick Saban was just 100% correct about this portal stuff, you know, and, and, and Lincoln Riley to his degree too, saying about the inter, inter conference transfer stuff. He's like, if you guys want to play this game, you know, just, just know how it's going to play out. It's not going to play out the way you think it is. Um, but it, you know, OU has picked up two two guys who I expect to be on the field, but I do not expect to be any sort of game changer or high level talent guy. I mean, they're picking up seems to be picking up your role players, um, and I think that's kind of what how Clemson handled it for the most part. I mean, if they did pick up any transfers, it was going to be guys who would be on the two deep. There are guys who would do some messy stuff. You know you go out and get, get your, uh, you know, on a basketball uh, uh, example, maybe get, get guys on minimum deals or mid-level ex- exemption type deals. I think like the Brooklyn Nets getting my boy, the Aussie Patty Mays, uh, Patty Mills, sorry, like that type of thing. Like, Oh, we just need a, a three point shooter for the second unit, you know, stuff like that. I think that's how you I mean to me, that's what it seems like they're going to go. I mean, Keegan, I know you, you're, you're on the Twitter machine, you're on the phone blazing it all day long. I mean, are you hearing that things are going to be tracking slightly different that way when it comes to the expected talent level, potentially in the transfer portal? I don't know. I, again, I I think we have a kind of another period here after these bowl games are in and these new staffs are in place where players can certainly more high level players can certainly enter it. But I, I mean, I do think that they're after a couple high level guys, like the Jared verse guy from Albany. I was down in Durant. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, as we were talking about with by Job and seeing some of the guys down there. And, you know, they, there's a guy there that played at Albany. So I got a, got to talk to him about the verse kid. And from everything he told me, it sounds like that guy would be based off the testing he did at Albany. He was by far the best athlete on their football team. He was the best athlete of anybody they played. And he swears that, that kid will be one of the best athletes on any team he goes to, regardless of whoever it is. So I think there are some high-level players out there that they're after. Um, I think they're doing a little more vigilant. I think I hope I said that word right. A vigilante, right? Vig- vig- vigilance. Vigilante. Vigilante. Come on, the Dark Knight, Batman. I know. I was trying to sound really smart there, and obviously I didn't. So uh, <laughs> I they're doing more quiet work in the portal than what we saw from this other staff because I think these the two guys that we're about to dive into were a little unknown. I don't think people expected 
Oklahoma to land those guys. So we'll see if they get after it. But like I said, there's another period coming up. I'm sure if there's a high level uh, offensive lineman that they can go get, they'll go get them a high level defensive end, or they'll try to go get them high level defensive end linebacker. I think those are some of the spots that you're looking at. Maybe, maybe receiver, um, mm-hmm. depending on the decision for Mike Woods, if Mike Woods comes back, I don't think they need, they don't need to go get another receiver. Do they? Uh, it's hard just to think who they have. I mean, OU's kind of hung their hat on their those five-star wide receivers. None of them really turned out, and now they're gone. It, it's kind of hard to really know what's all there. I mean, we're still waiting to see what Mario's going to say, uh, my assumption. Uh, we're still waiting um, still waiting to see what Mims is going to say, even though he had some very promising comments today. said he wants to be at OU, wants to be in the Crimson and the Cream. I'm not for sure why you would say that and then leave, um, but maybe he like he wants to see what the situation is going to be like. So, I mean, those are your two. If those guys leave, you have to go get somebody. Mike Woods, regardless, anybody. I mean, if Mims, Mario leaves, or one of those guys leave, and you may need to get somebody just for contingency's sake uh, e- anyway. I mean, you're still, you're still relying on a bunch of guys who are going to be, pre- be uh, pretty young, to be honest with you. It's a it's an interesting time. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think at receiver, most of those guys will be back. I know there's some rumblings and rumors about Mike Woods coming back. If he does, you have Theo Weiss, you have Marvin Mims. Like you said, Mario Williams probably has a decision to make over the next couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks, however long it is, um, and see what that kind of looks like. But receiver is something in the portal I feel like that you can dip into every year. If you need to go get a guy, you can get a receiver. I think there's a plenty of them out there. So it wouldn't be too much of a concern. Let's dive into these guys. Daniel Parker Jr. I don't know what day he can visit. Christmas Eve, day before Christmas Eve. I don't know. When uh, he, no, I'm not for sure. I think it was did. Christmas Eve, Eve, maybe. Yeah, and it was late, late at night, like 1054, 1055. Uh, a former three-star defensive end out of Blue Springs, Missouri. That's in the greater Kansas City area up there. Uh, that's a really – I would – I would imagine that's a place where Brent Venables and the staff would like to have a stronghold in moving forward, um, really locking up Kansas City, really diving into St. Louis. Um, this, I think this is a, a great, you know, data point that we have or piece of piece of data we have that says that they're going to do that. So um, I do want to touch off this off the top because it will be brought up. He was arrested during the January, February times. Oh. Or horrible deal. No, I'm kidding. He uh, he got a speeding ticket, failed to appear in court, was going 20-25 over whatever. Not a huge deal. Just wanted to mention it. It's going to get brought up um, as he kind of, as that pops up, and maybe he once he gets to Oklahoma and gets settled in. Okay, he's listed at six foot four, two forty five. He's a true blocking H back mm-hmm. tight end. Um, he I've, I've got some tape of him. I haven't shared that with you. I haven't shared that with you guys quite yet. I think I've got it on my laptop and they sent it to you. Um, very stiff lower half. Like I jokingly have said this and I think it's going to be a joke a lot. Um, a guy that would probably benefit from having Benny Wiley opposed to a guy like Jerry Schmidt, the guy that can okay. really loosen him up from a, I'm thinking just yoga Peyton. Don't see. I had to correct myself on radio today. Because I knew that you two make fun of the whole length thing whenever I talk about players or offensive linemen, defensive linemen. And I said it, and I was like, Matt, because I could hear it building in my ear. And was like, Matt? No. Anyways, um, I think this is a guy that if Braden Willis leaves, you're going to need him. 
if Braden Williams comes back, Willis is your starter. Yeah, in in, the, in my mind, they play two 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 different positions regardless, or or, or the skill sets just don't overlap uh, uh, the same way. I mean, Willis is a much more uh, naturally gifted athlete. Uh, in the open, I mean, you know, Lincoln Riley is able to use him, uh, especially in that Bedlam game, get him kind of open, let him kind of work. Uh, I think he's much more of a receiving threat. And it's kind of a, uh, to me, he looks a little bit more leaner to a certain degree. You're right. I mean, Parker, I believe it's Parker, I apologize, uh, is a lot more stiff, way, way more stiff. Um, and he, to me, he seems a little more. And, and let me know if, if this if this comp is way off base, just position wise. He seems to be a little bit more like a cowboy back to a certain degree. I wouldn't expect him to be an integral part of the offense. You know, wouldn't expect him to be 30% of what Flowers was or Hall or anything like that. He's just back there to hit somebody, <laughs> to, to allow a skill position guy to get open or, or spring somebody free. It With Lebby, they run like a bat, like an H-back. They run like a wing. And they run him a lot, and he's a blocking type. Yeah. But that, I have it listed here. I mean, like, Caden Helms is going to turn into an oversized receiver, I think. Yeah. I, I don't I don't see him being a guy that they're going to add. No, like, that H-back position now for Oklahoma or tight end, whatever they're going to want to call it, whatever it may be, I mean, he's lined up as a fullback. He's lined up as a tight end. He's lined up mm-hmm. as a wing, and he blocks a lot. Now they'll like they'll do the split zone thing where he comes across the line of scrimmage and flares out to the flat and they they do stuff. Jeff Levy does stuff like that, but that position is definitely more of a blocking type. And I, I think it is a position that Braden Willis will play alongside Parker as well as Llewellyn. And I think that that's kind of the group you're looking at potentially for next season. I don't know why Braden Willis will come back. I don't know what benefits him coming back as a player. I think that he has some opportunity as a practice squad guy this year. I will say his hands, I want to see them be more consistent. And I would imagine that that's probably one of his criticisms as well as he's got to be as a much more consistent blocker. I mean, that's like, and it's same thing with Austin Sogner. I don't have a problem saying this here. I mean, like, I'll start like you can go to South Carolina. You're going to get the ball thrown to you more. I get it. I understand the conversation. I understand the thought. I understand the process. I understand the belief, but he's still going to have to block. Like there's too many times and too many games where there's one play or two plays where whether it, and it's with Willis as well, where those guys miss blocks and it kills a drive because when you're playing defenses and again, as we'll get into this at the end of the podcast, but you're going up against one of the best defenses Lincoln Riley has faced since he's been at Oklahoma and Oklahoma state second and 12 is a lot different than second and six. Yeah. A lot different. And so that's what Daniel Parker is going to be coming in to do. I think he's, he's a guy that's a willing blocker. Obviously that's what he wants to do. Uh, he played under Joe John Finley. He's out of the 2018 recruiting class. So he was with Joe John for one year at Missouri. He has one more year left. Now the guy we're going to get to in a second has two years. So, this is a, a do or die year for Daniel Parker. And I think, again, it's a guy coming into a position that needs him. Yeah. I think Braden Willis, I think Braden Willis honestly needs to come back uh, because this, this, this new position type he'll be playing under Levy um, will be a little more specialized. We'll, 
will have its role a little more defined. You know, under Riley, that position was kind of fluid. I mean, obviously he's, you know, split out sometimes. He's seen the backfield sometimes. He's, you know, doing some different stuff. Levy's going to kind of have him in a position to say, this is what your job is. Now go out and do your job. For his potential skill ability, for what the NFL will look at him to be, he needs a bunch of that stuff on tape. To me, honestly, the NFL does not like Swiss Army knife guys. I mean, the only the only way, I mean, I mean, look at them now. I mean, you've got Tyreek Hill, uh, Debo Samuel, and like I think it took Patterson, Cordell Patterson, like eleven years to finally be used how he should be used. And those guys all have just immense speed. That's something. I mean, that's the only time you see that in the NFL to use like these jack of all trade guys. Is if yeah. You can do other stuff, but you also run super, super fast. Um, Willis just doesn't have that outsized athletic ability. Uh, I mean, the kid's super strong, obviously. I mean, but he just doesn't have, you know, that top end, top end 1% of 1% of 1%, you know, athletic potential there. So I think you need to go in and say, hey, this is who I am. You know, that's why I have a little issue. I mean, that, that's why I owe you fullbacks. Everyone's like, oh, OU, fullback you. Look all the stuff we do. They don't usually do well in the NFL because fullbacks are there to block. And, you know, Trey didn't block very well at OU, but OU fans were convinced he did, (laughs) but he didn't. Uh, You know, Ripkowski is probably the most successful fullback in the modern times at OU. I mean, uh, just because he had one job, his job was to blow dudes up, you know, get a linebacker scraped off of them. They also lined up in the damn eye formation because they didn't have a quarterback in 14 that could do anything. That's true. That's true. I'm just saying for that type of position, you're a blocker. You're not, I mean, the idea of you getting the ball and doing stuff, you ain't doing that. <laughs> not in the NFL. They've got dudes who run 4-3 who, can, who, who need the ball in their hands. And college football is just a little bit different on that side of it. But we have another transfer, another one that today, is that correct? Yeah, it happened this, it's all uh, happened up. this morning. Through the Keyhole is brought to you by Uptown Anytime Fitness. That is Anytime Fitness on 23rd and Walker. The best gym in Oklahoma City, if you ask me, and I know that for a fact because I've been using it for just about two years and I couldn't love it anymore. Perfect size, perfect amount of equipment, and we're even getting $40,000 upgraded equipment over the next few months, so we're excited for that. But it's not too big, it's not too small, it's not intimidating. So for first-time gym users or, you know, if you're out there getting closer and closer to the new year and you're thinking about... New Year's resolutions, new fitness goals. Yeah, this gym is not intimidating. There's never a a ton of people inside at any point during the day, so you never have to wait for your equipment. It's just the best place, in my opinion, to be if you're just trying to improve yourself in one way or another. And the new owner, Garrett, is awesome, very personable, very helpful, and wants to help you guys out as much as possible. So for the month of October, they're doing a dollar membership sign-up fee. Again, that's a dollar membership sign-up fee for the month of October. Just let them know that you heard about this deal from Through the Keyhole or just from me. Maybe you'll run into me and you can make fun of me. But again, there are about a 1,000 Anytime Fitnesses across the map. So if you don't necessarily live around Uptown OKC, you can just come up here, sign up with this gym with Garrett, and then you're able to use any of Anytime Fitness's facilities. There are a ton in the Metro. There's a few in Edmond. There's a few in Tulsa. I was just in Dallas a few weeks ago and used an Anytime Fitness in Seagaville. 
Anytime Fitness and Kaufman. So even if you travel consistently, Anytime Fitness will still be there to help you achieve your fitness goals. And hey, if you are perfectly fine with how you feel, how you look, all those things, that's fine. But just help us out here at Through the Keyhole and go ahead and like Uptown Anytime Fitness on Facebook and Instagram. Give them a follow. We will greatly appreciate that. Walk me through it. What do we see here? Okay, so Oklahoma lands a former three-star recruit from the Woodlands in the greater Houston area. I saw he's got a little brother that's a 2024 quarterback that's going to be a big-time guy, so maybe there's something to this. But McCade Matower started the last 28 games for Cal at right guard. He has started every game since his second start. Off the top here, I do want to say – we did get some – we have some tape on him. We have been able to watch him in one game. I want to say that one game. There is some 2020 tape I can get to. I will get to it. Um, and I'm sure some more 2021 tape will come out. It reminds me a lot of like Robert Conjol last offseason, Peyton. I don't think this is a guy that – and I'm just going to say this out like if, if he is starting for Oklahoma next year, something happened. Whether like kind of with Conjol this year, like Andrew Rain was in COVID during training camp that's why he didn't start off the you know start the season uh Andrew Rame got hurt that's why Robert Conjol started against Oklahoma State but having a guy like that with experience off the bench I think is I think is proving to be crucial in college football because like you're you guys are going to see this with Oregon and we're going to get into that a little bit like their starting offensive line was heading into the year was great the Ohio State game they kicked ass but the moment an injury happened, it was just awful. Everything fell apart for their offensive line. They weren't good in pass protection. They allowed a ton of pressure. So getting a guy like McCain Matower, I think, when you look at what the roster looks like next year, you're kind of hoping and praying that some guys improve. And I'm not meaning that they can improve. I'm just saying the 2022 season is maybe – completely relied upon how Wanya Morris and Anton Harrison and Savion Bird yeah. developed this offseason. And as well, a guy like Aaron Parks, like Aaron Parks should be in the lineup. Like, I don't know, at some position at guard or tackle, find a way to get him in. You're hoping those guys get better. So having a guy like McCade Matower off the bench, say Chris Murray struggling, say Andrew Rame struggling, saying they can put a guy in. Having a guy like him is going to be beneficial. I don't think it'll be him, Peyton. Um, but a guy, he's a 2019 recruit, so he's got two more years left to play. Uh, and it's a, a guy that when Conjol leaves, Matower will step in and be the sixth man. God, are we going to do that in college football now? Like they have in the NBA as well, kind of like the NFL, like six man offensive line off the bench. Well, I mean, you have to have a two deep. I mean, that, that's, that's the name of the game, like you said. Uh, but yeah, I think you, you probably need to have that combo guard who can play either side to kind of move stuff through. Um, especially, I mean, I guess I'd have to have see you break down how, how Levy wants to incorporate the run game, stuff like that. I know under if Bill, if they keep some of the pulling, some of the power stuff, you're just going to need another guard who can kind of rotate in and out. If you're asking those guards to do a whole bunch, you're asking them to reach a whole bunch, you're asking them to go whip around the end of the line and set, set an edge uh, on the opposite side. And, um, you know, I'd love those big boys, but, um, ask him to move that much probably isn't the best, uh, <laughs> the best recipe for success sometimes. Uh, so I think you're going to need someone who can kind of flow in and out 
give guys a you know, one or two snaps to catch a breath and come back in. Um, that's it. I mean, but if it, yeah, you're right. If, if this is the kid, um, just, just, just from looking at it from the outside perspective, I haven't, I'm not going to pretend like I've dug into his, you know, spark numbers and, you know, his uh, play and all that type of stuff. But I mean, if you're pulling in a three, a three, um, a former three-star from Cal um, and he just starts for you um, for a guy none of us have ever heard of. And, and honestly, OU Twitter needs to stop needs to stop is it well it's public so i'm not going to curse um well forget it oh you twitter needs to stop fucking lying to me and saying all bit all pack 12 guy i looked him up honorary honorary pack 12 you sit there and say all pack 12 i'm like oh man first team I mean, all pack 12 this is pretty good it's like I mean, no we got like one hey, 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 on the, the pictures i sent you guys earlier today <laughs> that was the second play of that game <laughs> that's right and, and and then like i know it's you can isolate this guy was replaced twice anything. this season i left that off the sheet oh you oh you twitter though oh you twitter would tell you all pack 12 he get dude, out of here liars dude, he 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 Lincoln was rally's re- gone stop lying to us he he was replaced as the starter twice this year at cal and i mean again i'm not being the hate on the guy at all or anything and i want to it sound i'm being pessimistic. no no he may be great yeah yeah I don't, I'm not, I'm sounding pessimistic. He does do one thing really well. And you guys heard me bitch about this the entire year. Um, Matt just heard me say this on radio. I don't know if Matt and I will be together in the next three days or not, if you're producing. Um, but regardless of that, I said, I was talking, I said this Matt earlier. You guys heard me bitch about this. He deals with stunts and twists. Good. Like if there's one thing like Peyton say, if there's an offensive lineman that is just struggling passing defensive linemen off in a stunt like the defensive tackles coming across to the opposite a gap and the other defensive tackles going across to the opposite B gap. He passes that stuff off really well. That was about all I saw in the TCU game. Now that's one game. As I said, I'm not rushing the judgment quite yet. I want to see more from him. He's got a little bit of a mean streak to him, but he like lacks some strength. He's, Mm -hmm. He's not doesn't have a long arm wingspan. Wingspan, uh, there you go. Wingspan uh, doesn't doesn't have that. Um, so I do think, like you said, I, and like we both both have said, I think this is a guy that Bill Beatonville looks to the future. And I think whenever you look at the offensive line, like they may need to get more than just this guy. They've yeah. got six guys that are redshirt sophomores or younger. That's it, six. Jake Taylor, Jacob Sexton are going to be true fresh, true freshmen. Savion Bird, Colin Montgomery are going to be um, red or redshirt freshmen now. And then what? Who? God, who is it? Nate Anderson and Aaron Parks are sophomores, and Anton Harrison are sophomores. Seven, sorry, but like you're going to need more than that. Like you can't, you can't hope five of those seven guys pan out. You just can't. And Maybe you bring in six offensive linemen and create the pancake factory north in Oklahoma where it pays offensive linemen $50,000 a year and you can get these guys. Maybe that's what you have to do next year. But it's uh, it's setting the stage for, I think, a big 2023 class for Bill Biedenboe and almost crucial, uh, pivotal is the word I used a couple weeks ago, 2023 recruiting class for Bill Biedenboe. We'll see if any other big-time offensive linemen hit the portal. If they do, I would imagine Oklahoma is going to find a way to be interested. And Peyton, I want to make one wish on that. Can it be a young guy? Can they go find no. a freshman or a sophomore offensive lineman that can play it? Not, not these older guys. No, not happening. 
not at OU. Not under Brent Venables. He wants young. I mean, he wants uh, upstanding young men who like have a mortgage, uh, good credit score. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. You're not going to get any young kids like that. <laughs> he wants. Well, he well, wants them to really value the transfer. Value opportunity. the opportunity. There you go. And value young the transfers won't value that transfer opportunity. The little you know, kids, they won't. Weird. No. They've made they've made so many 2023 offers in the last week, couple weeks. All those Florida kids just love and value Oklahoma. I saw they made another 2025 offer to an athlete. <laughs> Gotta get them. He values it. He must already have his driver's license. Now, I will say the, the, the value thing, because Brent did have a follow-up about that, I think the week later, I think, or maybe I, maybe it's later in that, that paragraph. Yeah, I don't, I don't expect OU to offer a whole bunch. And like you said, I think OU, the bulk of OU's offers will come after people's junior years and stuff like that. Yeah. But the, the idea that he, he, how he said it was like, hey, if I'm, if I'm going to offer you, that's me telling you I'm not recruiting somebody else. I'm recruiting you. You know, he said that. He's, and I don't know if he's actually going to do that. And, you know, he's like, I'm not going to recruit over you. I'm not going to sit there and recruit you and somebody else and say, hey, you've only got one spot. One of you got to commit right now. You know, he's kind of talked about being truthful to these kids and being honest with them. Uh, now it's a dirty game. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know how well that's going to be or if that's just a lot of talk. But I think that the, the value concept of this stuff is, is going to be interesting kind of moving forward. Cause I do expect OU to offer more than what Clemson did. Cause it's going to have to, I mean, it's just not put in the same geographic location, but if, if Brent really does build those relationships and say, Hey, it's, it's you or nobody, you know, we may get into some situations where OU strikes out and then has to scramble last second and, and pulls some, some transfers kind of like the ones we just talked about. It's a bowl game. In San Antonio, I know nobody listening to this is used to that unless you're an Oklahoma State person or Texas person listening to this because this is the first time Oklahoma will be in San Antonio ever for the Alamo Bowl. I think it's happening. If it is, I'm pretty sure it is. Wednesday, December 29th, kicks off at 8.15 p.m. You guys know that because you guys always stayed up to watch the Texas game whenever they played in the Alamo Bowl. Oh, yeah. Uh, Poor, uh, poor Texas guy down there got berated earlier today. You guys see that video? Did not. No. Just go I to did. Braden. It was great. Go to Braden Willis's uh, Twitter account. See, like, I, I feel bad for the Texas fan because, like, he just doesn't understand that OU fans don't know how to act on the Riverwalk because they've never been there before. So I get it. Poor guy. Anyways, Alamo Bowl, December 29th, Wednesday, 8:15 kickoff time let's dive right into it right off the top let's rip the band-aid off or this is per the Oregon beat writer um, for the Oregonian James Kerpia. I'm going to give him some credit here uh, Oregon opened the season with 88 scholarship players I don't know how that's possible by the way I don't think that was in the 2021 season anyways uh, effectively 31 are unavailable for the Alamo Bowl there is a list out there where you can go see every single person that's not playing. I don't have mm -hmm. it, but it is out there. Um, two injured guys are not are trying to play. Three more who haven't played in games all season are trying to play. Um, the effective roster right now is between 60 and 65 scholarship players. We do not know the testing requirements, how they're testing um, down there, if they are, what they're doing, whatever. Uh, but one, one round of COVID basically knocks Oregon – 
out of this football game, boys, um, which kind of does suck. But by all accounts, I think they're fine because the way that their Oregon players and coaches are acting, they, they sound like they're ready to go. Peyton, how do you, uh, how, how you feel about this game getting kicked off Wednesday night? I think if they're there right now, it's going to happen. Uh, to me, to be honest with you, I mean, it would have to go pretty, pretty drastic. Uh, I mean, you look at the, at the, uh, year of roster size Oregon has right now. I believe they kind of knew what that number is going to be like before they got on an airplane uh, and came down to San Antonio. So if they were going to cancel, they should have canceled. So I think they're going to just kind of drag this out and, and, and kind of get this taken care of. Um, and, and to be honest with you, Oregon probably, I mean, obviously they've got the super booster. But, uh, you know, a game check could be helpful. You got to pay out landing. You got to pay out some buyouts. You got to play some staff buyouts. I mean, you got to do some of that stuff. So there's, there's probably a, an outsized, um, an OU2, to be honest with you. There's, so there's probably an outsized incentive for both these teams to get this game played. Um, and if, if what happens here and they, they kind of walk down there and, and kind of get it taken care of, um, that, that's rough. That's rough. Uh, but, but to I me, mean, if you really look at it, if they, if they really only have 65, I'm looking at an article right now that says like, uh, we're going to, I'm going to use big 10 as an example. It says the big 10, big 10 member schools are allowed to dress a maximum of 70 players for conference or non-conference road games. So that limit is lifted for bowl games, obviously, but they're really not too, I don't know what the PAC 12 is, but they're really not too far away just from a road team roster, to, to be honest with you, just, now, you know, if they're missing out their top-end talent, that changes things. But being 65 isn't 100% horrible. Um, now, if you only have 65 players max, uh, yeah, that's different. But if they've got the walk-on kids, they've got the scout team and stuff like that, uh, you, you've got some numbers that can inflate some stuff for you. Uh, if that's all being added in there and it's only at 65, yeah, that, this OU is going to win by uh, infinity. Just name, name your score, basically. So Eddie Radosovich, as well as all the old, all the other beat writers down there in San Antonio, um, Sooners look to be basically at full strength for what they are, and we'll dive into that in just a second. Let's dive into some bowl notes. I got into the game notes for this one um, because I do think bowl games are very intriguing from a historical perspective. This marks Oklahoma's 55th bowl appearance. It's the fourth most nationally. Oklahoma is making its 30, 23rd. Uh, consecutive bowl appearance. It's the longest streak in school history. Uh, it is also the second longest active streak in the country behind Georgia at 25. This is the one that was like, damn, OU's had it pretty good over the last five to seven years. This is the first non-New Year's Six Bowl they've been in since 20 Yeah, yeah. And, and to break it down for you, you younger listeners, now again, remember I'm famously 33 years old. Um, so I, I know I know the tales of yester, uh, yesterday. Um, bowl games, you hear 55, uh, and you think, wow, that's kind of crazy. Oh, he goes to a bowl game every single year, 55, that's not that much. There used to not, there used to not be 175 bowl games. Uh, conferences used to not send teams two years in a row to bowl games. Like if OU went to the Orange Bowl, and I'm going to pick a random year, don't scream at me. If OU went to the Rose Bowl in 60, in 69, they wouldn't be allowed to go in 70. Another team, because the conferences said, hey, this is about representation. It's a reward. You can't just go every single time. You know, the NCAA was very uh, communist back back in the day. Um, now it's a little more wide open. Everyone gets to go. Everyone has a bowl game. I mean, the only way not to go to the bowl game is the one be Texas, uh, lose a bunch of ball, lose a bunch of games, and then also 
not have a high enough GPA to be one of the replacement teams when all these bowl games are desperately trying to find replacement teams. Um, so that will maybe clarify if you're getting kind of weirded out by that number, which I always am every time I hear 55, fourth most. I'm like, that seems kind of crazy. OU goes to, has been to 23 straight. So I jumped off and did a horrible rant, Keegan. So uh, back to you. That, that's been Peyton's uh, historical hour. It's Oklahoma's first Alamo Bowl appearance. There's your historical to keep it back on. It's the only game in San Antonio since 2007 for Oklahoma. They beat Missouri in the Big 12 championship game. Number one, Missouri. I believe Oklahoma was number nine in that Number game. nine. Yep. Oklahoma is six and one against Oregon. And I'm making an asterisk with my hand. Oh, that, yeah, that game totally doesn't count. If, if, if all of our patrons, if you're listening to the public uh, feed right now, you know we had a hidden track um, where a mysterious uh, benefactor and I talked about the uh, Oregon game. Uh, it's now been deleted for the uh, safety of our key uh, state witness. But uh, it, it is a, a, fake, a fake game. Didn't happen. Woody Page even went on live TV and said that game didn't happen the way that game happened. You should vote OU as the winner. Uh, no one did that, but he at least said that. <laughs> And if they didn't lose to Colorado, who I forgot who they lost to that year. Um, they lost to Texas. If they didn't lose that Oregon game, right, they would have played for a national title, um, I believe, if I remember my, my history correctly. Um, but maybe not. Maybe not. He's, Peyton's giving me the awkward eye look. No, like I, I'm, try, I'm just trying to look. I'm trying to think. Utah. Anyways, let's dive into this. Both staffs have interim head coaches. Matt, I still have not looked up the Oregon's interim head coach's name, so do that for me. Um, so we have it. Oklahoma Thanks. lost both their OC and DC, but Oregon did not. Oregon's going to have Tim DeRuder and Joe Moorhead coaching in this game. Two of the more respected coordinators in the sport um, will be coordinating this game for the Oregon Ducks. Kill Gundy, he's calling the offense. Brian Odom back from USC tampering i'm kidding with oklahoma's players he's not brian odom's a good guy uh but he will be calling the defense thought it was interesting peyton all four coordinators in this game will be in the box really a little bit different not used to that yeah so i don't i don't know i want to i'm actually if i was down there i would love to get the philosophy behind that but only I, if I was, I would be the only beat writer down in San Antonio that would ask that question. No one else would give a shit. Anyways, there's my, uh, there's my rant off topic piece. Ryan Doherty, guy that's been a special teams quality control guy. Connor McQueen and Austin Woods got get the call up to help Oklahoma as part of the 10 assistants coaching in this game because Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, they didn't ask Roy Manning to come back. Sad. Really you hate, hate to see it. Those, those motivational Twitter videos and stuff. And, well, and honestly, we can't win this game without one. Well, that's true. And, and honestly, I want all you OU fans, you, you all eat that shit up. Don't lie. Oh, no. They all totally fall Roe Manning being like, oh, yeah. You, you see how he walked backwards into that car and put his foot up? It's so great. Peyton, <laughs> he was Peyton, corny now. I'm on it. He's pulling his uh, OU card right now by going after him so much during this podcast. I'm on it. So uh, let's no, get into no, this. No. Let's get into this game. Let's get into this game. Uh, I forgot to mention, Will Johnson's helping out the defensive backs during practice this week. I would imagine it sounds like that's a guy, from what I understand, they want to keep around in Norman in some sort of role. So we'll see how that kind of plays out. Let's dive into this game. 
Here's what Oklahoma's going to look like defensively. You've got Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs at defensive end. You've got uh, Isaiah Coe, Corey Roberson, defensive tackle, Jalen Redmond, Josh Ellison at defensive tackle, Stripling, uh, Marcus Stripling, Brendan Walker, Clayton Smith at rush, David Aguayu, Deshaun White, Danny Stutzman, Shane Witter um, at linebacker, DJ Graham, DTY, Justin, or not Justin Fields, Pat Fields, Justin Broyles, Woody Washington. Latrell McCutcheon, Key Lawrence, Jordan Mukes, Bryce Washington, Jane Davis. I read off all those names, Paige, because I think people, they're like, oh, like Oklahoma's without Winfrey and Osamoa and Thomas and Benito. And I'm like, yeah, but the last staff actually kind of replenished some of the depth that's been, that had been missing in Norman, uh, especially in the secondary. And as well, Calvin Thibodeau did a fantastic job replenishing the depth along the defensive line. Um, this is a group that they, they're young, lack some experience in some places. Um, but overall, I said young. I probably shouldn't have said that. They're pretty old in the back seven. But overall, like I, if you put this defense on paper before, this, uh, before a season, Peyton, and said – and you ask me, where does this defense rank SP plus-wise, advanced analytics? I mean, I think it could have a chance to be like a top 30, 35 defense nationally, which is respectable. That's not what OU's defense was this year, even with all the pieces they had combined. But I do think this is a defense that has talent heading into this game. I do think it's a defense that, what we're given what we're about to talk about with the Oregon's offense, I do think that they kind of still have the potential to cause the same havoc they did this entire season, despite – giving up some yards and some games. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the defense is going to have, like you said, you listed some names that are going to be out. I mean, oh, you is obviously missing at star power. But if you remember this year, um, and it's kind of hard to remember this year, honest, honestly. It's kind of foggy with everything that happened at the end of the year to kind of look back and, and think about the good, the, the good stuff. But OU's defense – truly really wasn't about star power this year those stars really weren't the world you know beaters that we're used to in the past when they're when they were a name at OU like when they were like a Ronnie Perkins or something you go well just wait until Ronnie gets back and then he got back and changed everything I mean OU had those guys and it just didn't quite do the same stuff like Nick Benito love him I think he's probably a second round draft pick potentially I think size will probably keep him out of the first round that's just my opinion I could be I'm probably an idiot uh, I tend to always think of like the OU draft tax just think of where you think they're gonna go then add another round um, but it, like Nick was always just kind of quiet like he never was like a Ronnie blowing dudes up he was always just kind of getting his stuff slowly you know like a, like he reminds me of a, again, another basketball reference, like a Tim Duncan, just a quiet 10, 20 and 10, you know what you're getting coming through there, but it never seemed like it was a big splash, huge thing. Now just disrespected Tim Duncan, the top five player in NBA history who had plenty of splash plays. Uh, please don't cancel me, but uh, Nick just didn't seem to have it like that this year. I, I would say the same thing of Austin Moa who had a couple of good plays every once in a while with flash, uh, but wasn't anything like true star power the strength of OU's defense when it was strong is that it just came at you at waves. And those have not been diminished in my opinion, um, uh, coming up for this, for this game. And if, you know, if, if Oregon is playing basically their JV team, shout out Dan Mullen, um, then 
it, it really shouldn't matter, to be honest with you. I mean, OU has zero reason to lose this game. Okay, they're going to be, I believe, I don't, this isn't 100% because he's still trying to work to get back. Without Ryan Walk, 53, he played center for them the entire season. Our patrons, I know a ton of you guys didn't dive fully into the offseason stuff. I would imagine you guys do more this offseason. But we studied Oregon quite a bit. TJ Bass and Ryan Walk were two guys that I was hyping up the entire offseason. I thought those two guys were fantastic for Oregon. They're going to be missing Walk. Now, here's the kicker. They have moved Bass out to left tackle, and he is, again, by all the things I say about offensive linemen, his wingspan and his body type, he is not a tackle. He is a guard. He, he does not have the qualities needed to be able to consistently win on the edge. They moved the left tackle to left guard, Peyton. So their left guard and right guard are both bigger than 6'5". In this okay. game, 320, 325 pounds. Their center, Forsyth, is not very good. He was helped in 2020 by having two good guards around him in Bass and Walk. So now we got the personnel together. The guy that's at right tackle, 71, you do not want me to try to pronounce his name. So he's going to go by 71. And when we're on defense, number 50 <laughs> is going to go by number 50 because there's no hope in hell that I'm going to get their names right. But so on the offensive line for Oregon, you've got a good left tackle, not a great one, right, with G JT Bass. Left guard is the former left tackle. He's not very good. He's just big. The center's not very good. The right guard, also a big fella, not very good. And then the right tackle is pretty good. So that's how they look now. They, in the Ohio State game, they were 100% healthy. I believe, along the offensive line and kicked ass, which we were talking about this earlier. Like, they went, they had one guy go down, man, and it just – the whole thing blew up for them offensive on the offensive line. So, let's go to their receivers real quick. Micah Pittman, transfer. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, I don't remember his name, entered the NFL draft. They don't have a single receiver that has more than, I believe, 350 yards on the year playing this game. They have three true freshmen listed as their top four guys. The, their leading receiver, Chris Hudson, their best player, he'll make a play in this game, player two or three, that'll really impress you. Super explosive player, um, runs great routes, sharp routes, great change of pace, really accelerates and decelerates well. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how he goes off with the rest of his career. But Peyton, they, there's going to be a point in this game where the running back, Byron, Card, Car, uh, Byron Cardwell, um, number 21, when Travis Dye's not in, we'll dive into, we'll dive into Travis Dye in just a sec. But when Cardwell's in and all the receivers are in and the tight end are in, both their tight ends are true freshmen too. They're literally not going to have – the majority of their school guys are going to be guys that haven't played more than 12 games on top of an yeah. offensive line that has a bad interior. Yeah, the only thing I can, only thing I want to add to that is OU fans, myself included, because I did this in 2020, do not become Texas fans. When OU blows the doors off of Oregon, don't sit there and think this is it. 
promised land next year, baby. Let me jump on Twitter. Let me get after them. I mean, I did that after Florida. I was like, SEC, suck it. We're great. We kicked your ass. I mean, you, you feel good that way. Just don't, you never go full Texas. Okay, remember that. You never go full Texas. So that's that's the only piece of advice I'm going to give you uh, for what, watching this bowl game. But wait, Oregon's yeah, actually, I think, a better team than Florida from a year ago. So with that being said, this is a perfect transition. Oregon's run game is going to be a problem. Unless something miraculously changed in the last month where Oklahoma hasn't played football paid. Oregon and their their run scheme, they're going to well, run. I would, argue, I would argue a lot has changed in the last month. Really. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm talking in terms of what we saw last from the players and the stuff that literally hurt them the entire season that they didn't adjust one time. Now that's a coaching thing. But the players still have those same habits and still have those same um, – things yeah. that they do on a game-to-game basis. So Oregon's run scheme, Joe Moorhead is one of the most respected offensive coordinators, one of the best, most respected offensive mm-hmm. lines in, in football. Um, their run scheme is very innovative. It puts defenses in bad positions number-wise, and they motion a shit ton. And I put shit ton in our notes because I needed to emphasize that. They motion a ton. They motion receivers. They motion tight ends. They motion everybody. They motion the running back in and out. They, I mean, they they motion a ton. And that's not something that gave Oklahoma problems. The problems that Oklahoma's going to have, they run counter. They run guard tackle counter. They run some power stuff. They do. But most of their run scheme is based off zone and split zone, which is what has given – I mean, I don't know if I can watch Peyton. I don't know if I can watch another year of them defending split zone. If Alex yeah, Grinch was back – that was going to have to change, whatever it may be. And then here's the kicker. It's the QB run game. And ain't they with the, the receivers that they have, the lack of experience that they have, offensive line's terrible, getting another defender, or not another defender, another blocker in there with a running back. I think they're going to utilize that a lot. And the QB run game, they run power, they run counter, and then here you go. They run split zone read, which is what Baylor and Kansas did the entire game um, and had success with on the run game. And they run zone read, but the zone read stuff is really intriguing. And I it, it's going to be hard to explain it just with my voice. But, like, they they leave the, the defensive end unblocked. Okay. But the tight end on their side will leak out to the flat to take any garbage out there with them. And so the quarterback has a chance to run. If the DN crashes, the quarterback mm-hmm. can pull it and run with it, say that – garbage I was talking about that the tight end was taking out right say they commit to the quarterback run now he's got a guy to pass it to on the outside so it's again they do a really good job of isolating defensive ends and playing to their numbers advantage because say Peyton say they run that zone read right where that tight end leaks Mm -hmm. to the flat and takes that outside linebacker with them well a safety's got to come up in the run game or there's not enough guys in the box to be able to, to fit to it perfectly is to that tied in is that tied in on the read side yeah 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 they do it differently man it's so so he's basically um simulating like an arc block to a certain degree to get to yeah. that second level he's really he's actually not doing it yeah and he's taking off to the flat as a receiver okay, okay. so no, it's, no, that, no, that's pretty it's interesting. zone read with the pass to it it's a it's like a run pass run option i guess yeah the best an rpo basically and just RP, with some funny stuff on it. 
and RPP uh, or anyways, regardless of that, it's going to be tough. Like Oklahoma is going to be stressed in it. Like they, they're, they're going to be, there's going to be some drives where Oregon puts together a 10, 12 play drive running the football. And it's going to be frustrating as hell. It's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. No offense. I was a big Kyle Trask guy um, in terms of like a good college quarterback, a competent college quarterback that can get his team. And they won the SEC East that year. Um, I have no read on the SEC East and I can't, I don't have a crystal ball here to tell you what's going to happen in that division. And I feel weird about it, but uh, heading into 22, but I, again, Anthony Brown's legs give him something because we're about to dive into him in just a second. Um, Does that worry you at all? Like, I know it's a bowl game and it's like, I kind of have no expectations. I really don't have a ton of care factor to it, but like, these are things that have given OU fits all season. Uh, no, I, I don't have too much to care for it, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think OU is, could uniquely be poised to cause them some issues though, uh, because OU is more predicated on havoc and stuff like that. And like you said, they're going to try to march down the field, 12 play, 13 play. Uh, OU just needs one, one hit in the backfield to get them off schedule. And I don't really think Anthony Brown's going to be able to hit you with, you know, two eight yard passes on point in a row. Uh, you know, or if he does, it's not going to happen every single time. Uh, so I think it's, I think it's, oh, you should be able to handle it to a certain degree. Now, OU has been punked and bullied around most of the year by uh, offensive lines who have the ability to move that way. Oregon did that at the uh, game we, I think everybody watched OU, uh, or, uh, sorry, Oregon beating uh, the Ohio State University. Kick um, their ass. Kick their ass. Uh, the final score doesn't, if I can't, they didn't beat them like final score by a ton. They won by, but a, t- they won by a touchdown. But they won by a touchdown. It was, it was so, dominance on both sides of the ball. Yeah. So I want to say it's a little bit different than like, because um, when you hear that, you think, oh, yeah, there's a, there's also one other team that also did that to Ohio State. I'm sorry, the Ohio State University. Um, but Michigan actually completely dominated them. Completely. <laughs> there was, they left no soul inside of a football player. Um, Oregon fucked around and tried to lose that game to a certain degree at the end. Michigan did not do that. <laughs> Michigan uh, completely crushed them uh, underneath the heel of the oppressor and, you know, dr- driven them uh, from their homelands type of a thing. Um, I-, I think Oregon is a bully when it comes to that. Mario Cristobal wanted to be a bully. Uh, former OL coach, is that correct? Mario correct. Cristobal? So a tough dude, wanted to be tough, wanted to bring you into the box, wanted to beat you up, loved doing that. Um, Had mixed success at it, to be honest with you. I mean, losing to Stanford, playing these tight games, barely beating Fresno State. So we're over – I mean, Keegan's over there, and I'm not going to say they're not more talented than the Florida team because they they probably are. I don't see Oregon as the top team that the committee kept saying they were at any point in time. I honestly thought they were – pretty similar to OU to a certain degree, except they just got, they caught Ohio state early, but before they turned into a, a, a murder machine um, and they kind of had similar games and similar struggles. So um, I, I think this could be two teams that are very similar, except one team is half of a team right now. And so, I mean, I think that's just the difference. So the other aspect that they, I don't think has caused Oklahoma problems because they had Brian Osamoa, which again, that could be a problem in this game. They are going to screen 
and screen. If you can't stop it, they're going to keep doing it. They're going to go wide receiver screen. They're going to screen the running back. They're going to screen a ton of guys. Their passing stuff's not super complicated. They run a ton of mesh concepts to make things easy on Anthony Brown. They do attack vertically, um, some double post stuff, some three vert stuff that's really good. Um, but what Anthony Brown does best, and we'll dive into Anthony Brown in this transition, he recognizes main coverage and cover three as well as anybody because he just wants to get rid of the football. Because as, I, as you guys hear me say this all the time, easiest place to beat cover three is where underneath it. And he wants to get the ball out quick, which is why it comes back to the Spencer Sanders comment I made. It is, it's almost identical. He makes, there's, there was literally a throw against UCLA Peyton where he like properly reads the safety and then properly reads the second safety and delivers a ball over the middle of the linebacker, over the linebackers and underneath the safeties. Perfect throw. One of the best throws I've seen him make. Literally two plays later, he throws a freaking interception on the very next drive doing the exact opposite of what he did on that play. Like, I can't, I can't figure the guy out. I mean, at the end of the day, like, he's just – if Oklahoma brings a ton of pressure, simulated pressures, normal pressures, whatever it may be, they bring a ton of pressure, they get him uncomfortable, they get them into third and third and six, third and sevens all game for the most part, they're going to be in business. Yeah. Um, here's the kicker. You got to have this game. If you can stop the run game, if Oklahoma's defense can stop the run game, play, have disciplined linebacker play, have safeties, Pat Fields, DeLaren Turner Yell, Key Lawrence, those guys being committed to the run game and playing the run game well, they're going to have a lot of success. They're going to. Um, here's, the, here's the other guy that we need to dive into real quick before I throw it back over to you. Uh, Travis Dye, the running back, you people are going to love him. Oh, like, yeah. He, He's so freaking I, – I, it's the total – it's the total, I mean, common cliches and phrases you use about guys like that. He's like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, but he's scrappy as hell. Yeah. He's really smart. He knows how to read his blocks. Um, but like I said, I uh, – He's also really, really fast. Kind of. He's, he's got short – he's got short-term speed. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't house runs – but he gets like from zero yards to 10 yards. Yeah. He, he does a really good job. Very so I don't fast. know. How, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know how to, how else to explain that, but he's, he's a, in my mind, he's a skinny deuce fawn. That's how I think of him. I mean, they kind of use him in a similar type of way. Um, and so just be, pre- be prepared to be really frustrated as no you fan. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's going to be the potential that, that's going to happen. I don't see Oregon scoring a lot of points. But I could totally see them having a drive, say they get the ball first, Peyton, and they get a 12, 13 play drive that takes a lot of time off the clock. Like Oregon's in business at that point. Like Oregon can make this a football game um, with their offense. Let's move over to the Oklahoma offense against the Oklahoma or against the Oregon defense. Here's what Oklahoma's offense is going to look like. Their regular starting offensive line. They're missing Theo East, Jane Hayeswood, and Austin Stogner. They do return. Mike Woods, Marvin Mims, Mario Williams, Drake Stoops, Trevin West, Brian Darby, Candy Brooks, Eric Gray. Oregon, they're missing two starting corners, as well as Kayvon Thibodeau. 
here's where we here's where things get interesting. They do have two defensive linemen that can play. Uh, nose tackle. He's going to go by Popo, number 50, and then Brandon Dorless, number three. So Oklahoma's had some problems against some good defensive lines this year, um, especially when not necessarily good defensive lines, but when defensive lines have good players, right? Um, I, I think they, it's given them some fits in the past. Kayvon Thibodeau's out, their star guy, um, but they do have two defensive linemen that can really play. Noah Sewell. Uh, at linebacker, he's playing in this game. Outside linebacker, Mesa Funa. Defensive back, Jamal Hill, number 19. And then Verone McKinley, blast from the recruiting past. Funny enough, Mike Stoops told him he was too small to play at Oklahoma. Guy turned into an All-American at Oregon. So, Oregon's defense. As I mentioned, they're going to have two defensive linemen. They're going to have two outside linebackers. Um, they're going to run what Peyton's mentioned this a lot. I, I don't know if it's a defense he likes. I was kind of teasing him about this earlier. Um, they're going to run this peso front where they're going to have two outside linebackers, two defensive linemen, two inside backers, and then have a safety that's committed to the run game. That's typically Jamal Hill. Um, they're an, it's an interesting defense, and they're really based on first and second down Peyton. Um, and I want to highlight this from a perspective. I think a lot of people see that they have a coaching staff change. They have all these guys leaving this and that. On defense specifically, they do have a lot of talent playing in this game. Now, they don't have a lot of depth, but the guys that I just mentioned are all guys that are going to continue off and playing in their careers in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, the actual that I do actually like that defense. It's kind of a mad scientist defense, the peso defense. Uh, Dave Veranda kind of informally created it to a certain degree. I mean, people have played around that formation. I do like having the um, – that chaos ebb and flow, who's doing what type of a look. The thing is you have to be a very, very disciplined uh, unit to pull that off uh, because it takes, you know, all 11 dudes have to play on a string to a certain degree. If you're going to, especially if you're going to play an extremely chaotic, you know, scheme like that, uh, one dude messes up and all of a sudden you have a giant hole for running back to run through. Uh, so, but I do like that defense. I do like it when defensive coordinators get, uh, you know, quote unquote exotic, you know, I, I'm a big fan of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, running into that, OU is going to be able to. This is where the test is, and I think this is where everyone is going to be watching. Everyone's going to be watching OU's offense versus uh, Oregon's defense. I mean, Oregon. Uh, I mean, OU obviously will be shorthanded uh, slightly. I mean, we mentioned, you know, um, Dio Weiss, who is healthy, from my understanding. I mean, it was he was stressed for Bedlam, um, withdrew his name from the portal, but he will not be playing. Uh, completely saving up for next year, it seems. Uh, OU will be kind of shorthanded to a certain degree. But this is the test you want to see if Caleb Williams can handle this. I mean, you've said you mean, all the names you've mentioned. Uh, this is where this is where the the bulk of Oregon's talent resides beyond, you know, potentially its offensive line uh, is on defense. So I still think this is a pretty good test for Caleb um, to grow on um, and hopefully will not be the last uh, last time we see uh, Caleb in the Crimson and Cream. Yeah, I was saying this earlier. I have zero clue how they're going to line up if OU gets two tight ends on the field. No idea. Like, I, they get into a bear front. They mm -hmm. like to get in their five-man front. Um, but I don't, I don't know if they have the personnel for that. Like, I, I really don't because mm -hmm. they got away with it this year because they used Kayvon Thibodeau as, like, an outside yeah. linebacker when he's a defensive end. Um, but they just – I don't know if they do. So, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. If I was Oklahoma – 
I'd come out in a two tight end set on the first play and just and <laughs> take them off from there, and you can enjoy the rest of the game. Um, but like I said, I I'm intrigued to see how they line up to these things. How what they've done for the most part, if they get if teams get into two by two, they get into um, their four two five. They'll do a single high safety look and they'll play cover three out of it. They get a two high safety look. They play cover four out of it. Um, both areas or both defenses are, are defenses that Caleb Williams has seen this year. They're both defenses that Oklahoma has had success on the football against um, at times throughout the season. So uh, that shouldn't be a problem for them. What will be a problem is again, I mentioned Tim DeRuder is back in town for Oregon. So I would imagine most of their calls and packages are together. They get into third down, six guys on the defensive or six guys on the line of scrimmage. They simulate pressures. They bring pressure. Oklahoma, there's one thing. I like the kid a lot. I think the world, as you guys both know, I think the world of Caleb Williams of what he's going to be down the line. But that part this year, and this is for every quarterback at every level right now, um, but you get into third and six, third and seven or longer against this Oregon defense, they're going to do stuff that's given him a lot of fits um, in the past game. So I'm intrigued. I think it's a pretty reasonable game plan here, Peyton, for the Oklahoma Sooners on Wednesday. Run the football on early downs. Find a rhythm there. Because take your shots in second and three and second and four. Stop getting into second and 10 and second and nine and continuing to try to throw the football um, down the field because it just is just not working with this group. So um, now there could have some problems running the football interior defensive line. Good um, with 50 and three. in. so, as I said, as you can kind of hear it from me, like I'm, there's a lot of uncertainty with this game. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think both offenses will have their struggles um, and we'll kind of see how each team adjusts to those things because it's going to be interesting how Oregon I like I just don't know how much more they can run besides their base defense when I'm talking about adjustments like I I, I sincerely have no clue yeah I mean that's why I'm not I mean you mentioned it earlier just just the care factor of the game and, and I, I agree with it I, I think this just the limited amount of of what to expect out of Oregon is a little bit different than OU. I mean, obviously OU had people leave, but OU has a, uh, uh, has a system that's a little more in place than, than Oregon does at the moment, in my opinion, you know, I mean, OU kept the the bulk of its offensive staff. They know what's going on. Uh, they know all the stuff that's going to be happening and, and the defensive stuff. That's where it'll be a little tricky for OU as well. Well, how exactly are they going to do this on the, on the defense side of things um, is Brian Odom is the play caller, correct? Correct. Uh, you know, how is he going to handle that? Is it just going to be the Grinch stuff over and over again? Or will Bob have a, a little more sway in that and saying, Hey, it's a bowl game. Just pin your ear back, pin your ears back, go after them. I mean, or is Bob going to do like the whole coachmanship stuff and not try to embarrass another interim staff? I mean, something like that. Um, but yeah, I think what we're going to see is, Here's the thing that excites me about the Caleb Williams stuff for this game. Only this game. I do not think this game will be in any sort of indication of who he's going to become or the, or his future growth or anything. But we're just probably going to see OU line up and have their guys 
have a chance to beat the Oregon defenders and the opposite way on the opposite side. I don't think you're going to see a lot of disguises. I don't think you're going to see a lot of trickery. I don't think you're going to see a lot of uh, a ton of motion to be honest with you from either side. Uh, I think it's probably going to be line up and play the game uh, just because of how both staffs are interims right now, replacing head coaches um, and, you know, focusing on a lot of other stuff, to be honest with you, I'm sure Oregon's uh, care level for this bowl game is kind of low. They're probably, they're trying to scramble for their recruiting class and trying to get 23s put together, just like how OU is. Um, so I think this will probably be a more basic football game. And to me, that will be fun in its own way. Matt, any thoughts on the Alamo Bowl before we uh, get into the rest of the bowl slate to finish this podcast up? I'm just ready, man. I'm ready to uh, to see this because, like we've talked about, there's just so much uncertainty, so much up in the air. Like both interim coaches, by the way, uh, Brian McClendon, I believe, is the name of the interim uh, head coach. I believe he was their wide receivers coach. Um, okay. From a quick Google search I did earlier. Um, but man, that's that's really all I'm wanting to see. I'm just wanting to see, you know, I'm just ready to see what happens, man. There's so much uncertainty. Like, I don't know how many players are going to be available for Oregon. I don't know how many are going to be available for OU. Like, I don't know if this game gets played, like with the way COVID's going around right now. Like, I mean, I hope yeah. it does. I want to I want to exercise some demons just like the next OU fan uh, on Oregon. So, I don't know. I'm just excited to see some guys play. I, I want to see like, a guy like Clayton Smith play a lot. He's a guy Ooh. that, I mean, I, I hope he gets to play. I hope so. I don't know if he's played in three games already or if, or if he's already played in four, so they could hold his red shirt. But I mean, if he did play in more games than Tulane and Western Carolina, I, I can't remember. Um, but I'm excited to see that just some young guys go out there, you know, and have fun playing, have fun playing for Bob. Like, I feel like this will be, this is a no lose really situation. Really? I guess yeah. like, like, or Sorry, no, I mean, like, they have nothing to lose. Like, literally nothing to lose. Lincoln Riley left. Like, your whole defensive coaching staff that is coaching you in this game is gone. Like, everything – like, just go out there. Have fun. And whatever happens, happens. Like, I'm just ready to see what happens, finally. Yeah, win one for the pinky. <laughs> it's going to be weird. I'm I'm not – like, I, I haven't mentally prepared myself for Bob Stoops running out with the Oklahoma Sooners on Wednesday. Yeah, that, that will be a little strange. I mean, you know, I mean, historically, I mean, I think we all remember, and I've got the hat in, in my closet to prove it. I mean, it, it's going to be strange to see the Dallas Renegades head coach coach Oklahoma Sooners. I mean, that, it's just unprecedented. Somebody would drop down from professional league like that. Um, I wonder what happened to the XFL, but uh, it'll be kind of cool to see that happen again, get him off of 500, hopefully get him to 10 and two. Um, but I want to give you guys a little bit of trivia. This one should be super easy. What both of you uh, just blurt it out. I'll see which one, whichever one wins here. A little fun game. What flag or famous saying came after the Alamo? Remember the Alamo. Right. Oh shit! That's uh, the flag. Flag. Think flag. Oh, the Texas flag? No, not the Texas flag. I think it's the one with the snake on it, right? No, oh, not the one with the snake on it. Uh, no, that no, that's that's an old Navy one. It's old. The Rangers have used this flag before with a baseball bat on it. What? This? Oh my god! Come oh, and take it. 
It's a cannon. Oh, it says, it. come and go. take it. The Rangers had one with a baseball bat and said, come and take it. It's very funny. But the Alamo had a, had a, the reason why the Alamo happened, the church had a, a cannon there to protect it from like vagrants and stuff. And it was a Mexican cannon because the Alamo, Texas was Mexico. <laughs> uh, and then a bunch of Americans moved there and said, hey, we're not Mexico anymore. That's how it happened. But the Mexican army said, hey, we want the cannon back. It's our cannon. And they made up a flag and said, come and take it. Well, Mexico went and got it. But, you know, history has a, a longer version of that story. But, yes, it's the come and take it flag. But remember the Alamo. I phrased that so weird. Yeah, remember that. Yeah, I thought, said, I thought you said saying. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was like, easy. <laughs> easy. I, I remember like, that really grade. was that really was easy, Peyton. Thank you. <laughs> Let's finish this up with the rest of the bowl season slate. We will get to uh there's a bowl game on January 4th. We'll get to discuss on Sunday night, boys, between Kansas State and LSU. I it's I it's literally three days after all the other bowl games. I don't, I don't know. Anyways, Tuesday is your uh, best day coming up. That's tomorrow. So when most of you guys are listening to this, Houston and Auburn, Mississippi State, Texas Tech. Mike Leach has some spicy quotes out today. You guys see that? Either of you guys see any of those? No. What no. He, uh, it's all about the whole uh, not paying him for his buyout deal. I think the people there are great, but some of the leadership, at least when I was there, was really sleazy and slimy and dirty mississippi state texas tech i believe it's an afternoon kickoff on tuesday um that'll be a good one to watch ucla nc state and then west virginia and minnesota again i think tuesdays are best slate coming up we uh any thoughts on any of those games boys matt take it my first thought was going to be with mike leach i think i mean he's going to try to win that game by 100 right Correct. Like if, if he can run it up, like he's going to run the score up on Texas Tech for sure. Oh, I want no that doubt. to happen. I want that to happen so bad. So bad. Man. And I forgot the other games you said. Sorry, I was just thinking about my. No, you no, know, you're good. I was just kind of going through the whole bowl slate. Um, Peyton, Clemson, Iowa State on Wednesday is your only game to watch on Wednesday. Yeah, um, that was, that's order. good. That'll be a fun game, to be honest with you. I think Iowa State will probably pull that one out just because DJ Ugalugula is just not very good at all. Um, but Iowa State will have to play against uh, probably like what the third best defense in college football. <laughs> so that may I mean, be they're tough. gonna have to go against. The, they're going against the best defensive line they faced all season. Two yeah, five star cultures going at it too. No one's talking about that. No, no one true. has. No one's talking about it. No one's and talking Dabo about it. And Matt Campbell are now best best buds, riding roller coasters together. On the roller coaster, and you know, Dabo hasn't been tested in like three years. <laughs> He's just talking. Coughing and sneezing all over Matt Campbell, probably. He's thinking, like, he's like, the guy upstairs got me. Don't worry about it. <laughs> North Carolina, South Carolina is on Thursday. Uh, color on color game, guys. Color on color. That's going to be beautiful. It's going to be fantastic. And then the next one's Wisconsin, Arizona State. My Badgers take on my Sun Devils. As everybody knows, I'm, I was a big Arizona State guy heading into this year, um, as well as Wisconsin. I got no thoughts on either of them. College football playoff on Friday, though, boys. I'm sure you guys got some thoughts on Cincinnati and Alabama. Peyton? Uh, well, Alabama, you know, I, I th they're going to be motivated. You know, they've been doubted all year. They've, they've been, Bill Anderson's came out and said that today. They're, you know, they're the underdog. 
you know, all the media is talking about how Clemson, not Clemson, sorry, how Cincinnati should have been number one, how they should have been, you know, they're undefeated. And this, this, this Bama team just saying it, you know, I mean, they only have, I think 81% four and five star players on their roster instead of 85% like in previous years. So um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if they can, you know, kind of muster up the spine to stand up against the, uh, 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 you know, CU Bearcats. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, Alabama should win by a whole bunch uh, and it should potentially be a name your score. Um, that's how I think maybe it's being seen from a national perspective, from just college football uh, layman fans like myself, usually. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch Cincinnati play that often. Uh, when I did, they really did seem to be able to bring everyone down into the rock pit uh, and kind of just beat the hell out of everybody. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they could do that to Alabama. It'd be kind of like the uh, Dark Knight Returns comic book where the old man Batman drags the mutant into the, the mud pit. So the mutant can't be as fast and just beats the shit out of them. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting if they can do that. The issue is Alabama is also very big and strong. So, uh, but I think that's probably the only chance Cincinnati has is to slow the game down and see who can win a fist fight. Uh, but as we all know, uh, SEC all the way, hundred percent win all the bowl games. And if we don't win them, didn't want to be in them, obviously. It's it's an intriguing game. I think Cincinnati's zone coverage and the way they play coverage is going to confuse Bryce Young at times. I think it, they're also Alabama's run game isn't what it used to be. Now Jamison Williams could just run by everybody. That could yes. that, it's likely a possibility that happens in this game. Um, and Cincinnati's offense will struggle, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is like the Washington game in 2016, where Washington's defense kept them in that game, but Alabama just kept feeding Derrick Henry for the entire second half, and he ended up just running over everybody. So if that line was at 14 and a half instead of 13 and a half, I actually like would I would take Cincinnati to cover in this game and feel pretty confident about it. But under two touchdowns, I'm good. Like I'm I'm not I'm not touching that, touching that at all. Um, other one, Georgia, Michigan. The it's the final game that night, seven o'clock. Georgia shutting down practice to the media because of some COVID issues of reportedly from Mike Griffith down there in Atlanta. Kirby Smart may have them. He may put a hit a hitman out on him for putting that out there. But uh, game against between two really good defenses, Peyton. Uh, game against two very average, I think, quarterbacks are playing in that game against each other. Uh, I low scoring. I think Georgia's just a better team. Like I like Georgia win that game. I don't like any either of those games, believe it or not. I I know you know I'm a big everybody knows that I'm big. Yeah. Look at the lines, see this, do that. I hate both the lines in that game. I wouldn't touch them. Yeah, I mean the, the Michigan Georgia game. That's the one I think everyone is interested in watching. Um, Michigan just is probably a less talented version of or of a uh, Georgia. Apologize, my um, my 33 year old brain is smoothing. Uh, I think Michigan obviously is like a three-star, four-star version of what Georgia is, and Georgia's the four-star, five-star version of that. Um, maybe it, you you don't have you know like the sports writer version of how this goes. Michigan has beat its chief rival for the first time in 
uh, 80 years. It's been 82 years uh, since Michigan beat Ohio State. They did that. They won the Big Ten championship finally. Jim Harbaugh got the monkey off his back. He's going to the playoffs. He's got it all there. So there's two ways to look at it from a sports writer's perspective. The train keeps going. The fairy tale continues. The team of destiny keeps moving. Or this team is emotionally used up. And they, they, they shot all their bullets for those two things. And that it's a team kind of like the, uh, I'm all about NBA basketball stuff right now, uh, kind of like the Chicago Bulls. First, you got to beat the Celtics. Then you got to beat the Pistons. And then you start winning championships. So, you know, maybe this is like step one of the Michigan story uh, moving forward. Or, and I think this is probably more likely than that, um, Michigan just kind of beats the shit out of Oregon. Uh, I did it again. Georgia, Michigan just takes them again. This, these are two teams that want to rock fight. Um, and I think Michigan has had bigger battles to a certain degree. And the, the one time the highest profile game they played, um, they just completely dominated their rival, uh, Georgia, their biggest game they played all year. They got run off the field. Um, so, Maybe it comes down to that, which coach is willing to do what it takes to win. And if you saw Jim Harbaugh coaching in the big game, uh, he did anything and everything it took to beat Ohio State by as many points as he could. Uh, Georgia seemed like they were screwed after five minutes against Alabama. Georgia. My brain's broken. My brain's breaking. Georgia. Georgia's not on my mind. No, 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 they're not. Saturday, they wrap it up. Penn State, Arky, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, Iowa, Kentucky, Utah, Ohio State, and Baylor, Ole Miss. That Oklahoma State-Notre Dame game has got a chance to be a pretty good football game. Uh, I, um, I honestly don't think so. I think that's a, that's a Notre Dame all the way. I think you put money on them. Um, the Jim Knowles leaving is going to be an issue issue, in my opinion. Um, he was the best coach on the Oklahoma State staff, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Um, and I think um, they're not going to be able to withstand the stuff that Notre Dame wants to do. Um, and, and that's just my opinion of that one. I think Baylor probably takes care of Ole Miss to a certain degree. I mean, Baylor's a nice, solid team. Uh, Ole Miss is a little too one-sided. And obviously, Levy should be way more focused on OU. So if his offense comes out humming and he's killing everybody – I'm going to be a little pissed. I'm like, he's, he's clocking too many hours on the Ole Miss. <laughs> he needs to be out there recruiting kids. Um, but I think those are, I think those are the two games. Um, even though I'm picking against the SEC on that one, that, I mean, that sucks, but uh, you know, to our brothers. Um, but I think that's kind of Baylor and Notre Dame on those two games. And um, you say the Iowa, I, game? I was going to say this, Iowa, Kentucky is the most like, if I have to like somebody, Somebody that bitches in the offseason or bitches about too many bowls, we should strap them in a seat and make them watch Iowa-Kentucky for 60 minutes and be like, okay, either you love college football or you don't. Because after that game, I don't know if I will anymore. I'm kidding. Yeah, that game, yeah, that game is the football version of any college basketball game. It's just <laughs> disgusting, to, <laughs> disgusting to watch. <laughs> yeah, especially the big once Big 12 play kicks off this year. It's going to be gross <laughs> in this league. Absolutely gross, Matt. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, well, first off, I mean, you guys can don't don't throw Duke under that umbrella of the all college basketball, right? I mean, I watch all the Duke games. Let's not 
let's let's be easy here a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Pro, yeah. Um, they're a pro team. I guess. Right. Exactly. No. Uh, Chisholm asked me this on radio today, and I wanted to ask you guys because I thought it was a pretty good question. Um, if Spencer Sanders has pretty much not a, I won't say repeat. I don't. I don't expect him to, you know, throw four picks again in the bowl game like he did in the Big Twelve title game. But if he has another rough game, I mean, what are the preseason? Or like, what is the offseason talk going to be with Oklahoma State? Because they could have and probably should have won a Big 12 title, maybe gotten into a, a playoff game. They're obviously lose Jim Knowles and probably more of that defensive coaching staff. Yeah. But they return pretty much all the personnel outside of like Malcolm Rodriguez on that defense. So I, what, what do you think the like if he does have another like kind of stinker, Spencer Sanders does, what, what's kind of the offseason talk going into next season for them? A uh, new starting quarterback, Gundy. I mean, obviously, you think Mike? You think Mike Gundy's going to put up with Spencer Sanders when his kid's sitting there? I mean, uh, um, maybe he transfers out. I don't know. Yeah, he I mean, he, they, he really I, puts a he puts a hard, hard, hard ceiling on that team. First team All Big Twelve. They have, okay, they first team All Big Twelve. Yeah, he, he was that, but they don't have anybody else, man. Like that's the problem they have is like they like Spencer Sanders is their it gives them their highest ceiling and their relatively kind of mid floor that they have, you know, and I, they're such an interesting team because we, we could sit here and doubt and like, like last off season, you know, they were supposed to, they had the best team they ever had in 2020 or they had the best team they ever had in 2017 and this and that, and they go up and they fall under and underperform. I mean, I think if ever, I, like, like Matt said, like all the personnel's back, you know, Jim Knowles is gone. It sounds and reads like, I don't know this hundred percent, that they want to upgrade they want to just not upgrade they want to lift someone from the staff from Knowles and make them their defensive coordinator now that would go away from what Gundy's done for coordinator hires um but again kind of like Oklahoma staff keeping Lincoln Riley's guys I would imagine it's pretty smart to keep as many Knowles guys as possible in that staff I don't know I'm intrigued by them I I think they've got some really good pieces on the defensive line but losing a guy like Malcolm Rodriguez, I don't know how you replace that. I just – I don't. Um, so, we'll see. I mean, the Big 12 next year, we'll get into that. We've got a, a full report card podcaster recapping and looking ahead early to next year coming up after this season's over um, this weekend. But, I mean, I've been doing some early looks at it. Like, like I would – Oklahoma State will regress. Baylor should regress. Kansas State should regress a little bit, but like I don't see those teams regressing like hardcore, and they could just regress a little bit while West Virginia and Texas Tech improve. It's going to be a crap. We'll dive into this again this weekend. It'll be another public pod. Uh, we'll get back on schedule, as you guys have kind of heard. Sundays will be the public pod. Tuesday, Thursday will be on Patreon. We may have to move some of those dates around as if as long as there's stuff to talk about, we'll talk about it um kind of deal so but anyways regardless of that outside of me saying kicker and not getting to it three times in a row i miss anything i don't know you miss sounds anything good to me sounds good to me yeah this sounds like a threat i think I we're good anything? no good yeah, no, yeah, no, good. no 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 threat if it was a threat <laughs> you'd know about it uh anyways for uh for peyton for matt for all the through the key holders out there uh, if you guys made it to this point Make sure, like I said at the beginning, go leave us a comment, five-star review. Um, we greatly, greatly appreciate that. And, boys, next time we'll talk.
will be Wednesday night on the Patreon page for the postgame podcast, patreon.com slash through the keyhole, the final postgame podcast of the 2021 football season. And we will see you guys then. Who more?